Well, hi everyone. Uh, it's great to have you with us. Um, this recording is not actually a live recording. We had a bit of a technical glitch at church and uh, the live recording with the discussion groups unfortunately was lost. Um, but I'm aware that some of our home groups want to use this material and another church and one or two individuals wanted to hear the talk. So I've decided to do it again um, so that you're able to benefit um, from what we learned together. Just be aware, though, obviously, uh, this evening was set up as a sort of discussion. So it was an interactive sermon with, with discussions. And obviously, I can't get back in time to get people's discussion points as we did some open mic time. So what I suggest as you listen to this recording is just have press pause at the relevant moments. Um, and you'll be able to um, think in yourself if you're on your own or in a group, you'll be able to respond to some of the discussion questions be really helpful too if you could have a copy of the handout in front of you. Um, if you go to the website where you downloaded this talk, then there should be a handout called Spiritual Battles, Understanding Our Enemy. I do have that handout in front of you because that's what we used on the, the Sunday evening when this talk was first um, given. There's also a PowerPoint attached to this talk. And again, if you want to have some of the slides which will help you engage with the talk, then do flick through that at the same time. Uh, but I pray that even though this isn't live, it will still be edifying and helpful uh, to you. Just by way of introduction, uh, many of you will know that we conducted a sort of online informal questionnaire asking people to respond uh, to some of the different spiritual struggles that they went through. And you'll see on the first slide of the PowerPoint, uh, the question was asked, um, to what extent are you aware of your life being a spiritual battle? And the members of our church um, nearly 40% said that they recognise this being a daily battle and 30% uh, and often a battle and 30% sometimes. So I think it's safe to say that virtually everybody recognises that the Christian life is a spiritual battle. And that's a good thing to recognise it because, of course, the Bible is very clear that the Christian life is a spiritual battle. Uh, if you notice on your on your handout on the front page and also on the next PowerPoint slide, I've just put a kind of summary of the, the next five weeks, uh, six weeks of this series, uh, just to help us understand where we're going with it. Uh, this week is really going to be an interactive kind of seminar where we're going to look together at trying to engage and understand who our enemy, the devil, is. Um, I think often our ignorance of the devil means that we sometimes don't pray um, in the right way against his schemes. And so tonight, uh, as you listen to this recording, uh, my prayer is that we'll understand together better who the devil is, where he came from, and kind of what the battle is that we fight as Christians. Uh, then if you notice the sixth talk, which uh, we'll come to um, obviously on June the 11th, really top and tails uh, this sermon series. June the 11th, we're going to be focusing on standing on Christ's victory. And so this is going to be a, a really encouraging talk, I hope, that will help us to have confidence that Christ has ultimately defeated uh, Satan on the cross. And then the, the four weeks in between are really getting practical. Uh, next week, May the 14th, uh, the, the title is The War Is Over But The Battle Still Rages. Uh, a number of people have asked me, well, if Jesus defeated the devil ultimately on the cross, why is the devil allowed to continue to be so influential in our world? Um, so we're going to grapple with some of those questions. Um, on May the 21st, we're going to be thinking about um, how we persevere in prayer. A lot of people in the church have spoken about the struggle with persevering in prayer, often feeling that prayers aren't answered. Um, for many people, this seems to be in the context of praying for loved ones or spouses. And so we're going to look together at a passage of scripture that will help us to continue to persevere in prayer uh, when we're all the more wanting to be self-reliant.
Uh, May the 28th. This is a, a particular talk that I think would really help us as a church. Uh, I'm aware of certain issues that often bubble away, uh, away under the surface. Uh, as we're going to see, one of the great dangers of the devil's work is his subtlety. And sometimes it's easy to fail to love one another in the church, just to keep our distance from people who've hurt us, people we find difficult. But this becomes a real area of spiritual battle, uh, and we need to uh, keep alive to that. Uh, How do I respond to Christians who've hurt me? How do I maintain healthy relationships in the church? And then on June the 4th, we're going to be thinking about another subtle danger, that of materialism. How do I stay faithful to the Lord Jesus in a world of distraction? And I hope that will be helpful. So that's where we're going to be going um, tonight. What I would like to do is just for you to pause the tape and have a think about some of the questions you'd like to address. And when we did this live, uh, a lot of people scribbled on, on a white uh, flip chart paper. And a number of those questions we're going to come back to um, over the subsequent weeks in this series. But why don't you just pause the tape for a moment and just write down a little bit of paper some of the questions you have which you would like to find answers to, and hopefully you can spot some of the responses to these questions as we go through the series. Why not just pause the tape for a moment? A few people have asked me ahead of this series if I could recommend some books. Um, What would I suggest? Uh, I don't think there is a lot of good books written on this subject. I did speak to Jonathan Carswell, who's a friend at tenofthose.com, a Christian publishing company, and I did say I didn't feel there was much out there that was helpful. I guess, uh, as you can see on the PowerPoint slide, the two books I would suggest, um, one's a bit of a timeless classic by C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters. It's written um, from, the, from the standpoint of a senior devil writing to junior devil. And it's a very clever little book that helps us to engage with some of the subtle ways in which Satan works. Um, it's a bit of a timeless classic and definitely worth a read. I'm going to quote from it shortly. The other book which I came across recently that I didn't know anything about, but I like the author and I've read him on other things. This book called God's Devil by Owen Lutzer. Um, He's an American. The thing I love about this book is it gives us a biblical theology of Satan. So uh, traces the theme of Satan and his work from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Um, I think it's helpful in that it stops off in a number of places and talks both about the person and work of the devil. Um, and that's particularly helpful. And then there's some bits towards the end uh, which really talk about what will happen when Jesus returns and the devil is finally defeated. Uh, you may not agree with everything in the book, particularly in the last few chapters. Uh, there's a few sort of more controversial issues and I definitely don't agree with everything in the book, but I do find it hugely helpful and I would definitely warmly commend it to you. Let me read to you, first of all, from the Screw Tape Letters from page nine. Uh, this is in the preface. It's probably one of the most famous quotes from the book, and you might recognise it. Lewis says, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. I think there's great wisdom in that. We need to be careful that we don't ignore Satan and his work, but equally that we don't get captivated by it and consumed by it. Uh, A quote from the other book that I recommended, God's Devil, which has helped me hugely in preparation for this series. Uh, Lutzer famously said, never look at Satan without gazing at God. However powerful Satan is, however influential he is in our life, he is never as powerful 
or as influential as the Lord Jesus Christ. Never look at Satan without gazing at God. And that's my prayer uh, for this series. If you turn to page two of the handout, you'll see a little heading there, different understandings of the devil. I thought it might be helpful just to provide a brief overview of how the devil's been understood in history. Because when we understand where we've come from, it helps us understand where we are today. So if you follow these slides on the PowerPoint, if that helps you. If you go back to the medieval era, uh, perhaps you've heard of the famous um, poem by the Italian poet Dante. Dante's Inferno is probably how it's most famously known. The actual original uh, title of that poem was The Divine Comedy. But as you can see on the slide, and if not, you can look it up on the internet. This very famous picture, Dante's Inferno, um, is a picture that helps describe essentially a journey through hell. And as you can see on the picture, you see demons tormenting kind of pitiful humans. And if you look closely at the picture, there are nine regions, each representing punishment for different kinds of sin. Now, remember, this is not a accurate biblical depiction of hell, but is more Dante's 15th century interpretation. But it shows you how in the medieval era, uh, talk about the devil and description through poetry and drawing was very much on people's agenda. Uh, two centuries later, in the 17th century, you might have heard of uh, poets like John Milton. One of his famous poets was the poems was called Paradise Lost. Again, this is a poem that retells the story of Genesis chapter three, uh, a poem which shows Satan to be both a, a hero and a villain. And John Milton, in his poem, tries to describe how Satan wanted to reign in hell rather than serve in heaven. And this was a very famous poem from this century. Come forward to the 18th century, the next slide. This isn't an image in the PowerPoint from the 18th century. It's just a modern cartoon of the devil. But when you get to the 18th century, to a period called the Enlightenment, there became a much more casual understanding of the devil primarily because of scientific advancement and the growth in knowledge. Almost a kind of human arrogance meant that human beings felt they could conquer anything and have answers to everything. And so the power of the de devil was increasingly dismissed. And many people had a very comical view of Satan. And this was the root of many of the horror novels, which more recently have become horror movies. Now, if you lived in the 18th century, Satan would have increasingly become a kind of figment of uh, an old superstitious age and then the next slide 19th century uh, really things like Halloween became very popular Halloween actually has roots in the 5th century BC in kind of Celtic roots but with the proliferation of Halloween in North America it's increasingly got over to Great Britain and Halloween really is about mocking death and evil which at one level is a good thing you might know the words of Paul where O death is your victory where O death is your sting but there's also, of course, lots of unhealthy associations with Halloween. And through the 1920th and into our current century, the growth in horoscopes. I was quite disturbed to hear that in a recent poll in America, 25% of people didn't believe that the devil was a real being, but simply more symbolic of pain and suffering. So it does show us that we our work is cut out for us in terms of helping our churches to engage with the work of the devil. Now, one final picture, just an illustration that it's not just the Christian um, religion that has an understanding of the devil. This is a false religion, Buddhism. Uh, but in this religion, there's also a false understanding of the devil. 
So you can see riding on this elephant type figure is Mara. Uh, Mara is a demon who is seeking to distract Buddha, who you can see there is uh, praying for enlightenment. So Mara acts like a sort of seductive woman trying to distract Buddha from enlightenment. And this is just a by way of example, an example of um, how the devil is portrayed in other religions. Right, well I'd just like to read to us again a, a second quote from the Screwtape Letters from page 40 interesting that with the increasing sort of comical understanding of the devil believing that he's just a fig figure that's laughable as the senior devil speaks to the junior devil in screw tape letters notice what he says i quote if any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his that's the christian's mind suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that it's an old textbook method of confusing them, by the way. He therefore cannot believe in you. See, if we only ever look at cartoon pictures of the devil, and the kind of naughty but nice adverts, Halloween, and we only ever think of the devil as some little horned animal prancing around in red tights, we'll never take him seriously. And so this quote may be helpful for us. Great, well that's a long introduction, but I think that might be helpful, I hope it was, in terms of understanding something in the background of the devil. If you turn to your handouts, one of the questions I've asked, which I'm going to try and address here, is who is the devil? And the Bible's clear that the devil was once a perfect, heavenly, beautiful being, who rebelled against God. What I'd like you to do is to look up the two passages which you have there on your handout. One is Ezekiel 28, verses 12 to 17. And the other is Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 14. Uh, in the first passage, Ezekiel 28, this is primarily a description of the king of Tyre. He was an ancient king. Uh, and in the Isaiah 14 passage, it's a description of the king of Babylon. And what you get in these two descriptions is the beginnings of a description of real kings who lived in real time. Descriptions of kings who led lives of defiant rebellion against God. But I want you to notice that as you read these different passages, not only are they descriptions of real defiant kings opposing God, but the language often turns to, to, to be pictures of Satan's rebellion against God as well. What I'd like you to do is to just pause and have a look at Ezekiel 28 verses 12 to 17 and Isaiah 14 verses 12 to 14. And then answer the two questions that are on your handout and also on the PowerPoint. Firstly, what lies at the heart of this defiance? How is it described? And secondly, how do you see this same attitude in mankind's rebellion against God today? Just take a moment to pause and reflect on those passages for a moment. Well, hopefully you've done that. Just want to particularly draw our attention to the Isaiah 14 passage. I don't know if you notice the number of uses of the phrase I will as the king and increasingly the devil is described in their defiance against God. Notice verse 13, I will ascend to the heaven. See the devil didn't want to serve in heaven, he wanted to rule. I will, verse 13, raise my throne above the stars. Well the stars throughout scripture, particularly in places like Job chapter 38, often symbolise angels 
So this could be a reference to Satan wanting to give orders to the angels rather than to take them from God and to serve alongside the angels. I will sit on the mount. Again, mountains often in the Bible represent or symbolise kingdoms. In Isaiah chapter 2 verse 2 you'll see this. Maybe this is a picture of Satan wanting to steal territory from God. And then you come to Isaiah 14 verse 14. Satan says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. If you think of how clouds are represented in the Bible, often a place where God's glory is manifest. Think of Exodus chapter 16 verse 10. Of course, Satan wanted to be more glorious, more manifest on earth than God. And then the whole thing culminates in that terrible phrase in verse 14. I will make myself like the most high. Of course, Satan at the heart wanted to be like God, wanted glory for himself. When we did this live, I remember asking the congregation, what are some of the struggles as you read these two passages, which primarily are describing a king of Tyre, a king of Babylon, but then also go on to describe the devil? And the feedback is it's sometimes hard with prophecy to know what is being talked about. But it's great that we've engaged with this because this, just as a little sidebar, is a good example of how prophecy works. Prophecy can work on a number of levels. So it can be primarily speaking about an individual who lived at a particular time, but foreshadowing someone who's going to come in the future. Prophecy can speak about a physical reality, but pointing forward to a spiritual reality. And so in these two examples where you get a description of both a physical man, but also it seems a foreshadowing or a description of Satan, what we're doing is we're seeing how prophecy works at multiple different levels. And that is something that's uh, one of the functions of how prophecy works. Okay, a bit of group work for you. If you have the handout and you do need to have the handout for this section to work, uh, how is the devil described? What I've done is I've put down... A series of references on the left-hand column and then a description of the devil, the specific description in bold, as you can see there. What I'd love you to do is to look up three or four of those descriptions, the ones that catch your eye. Try to read them in their context, read the verses around them to help you get a better sense of how the devil is described. And to make this really, really practical, use the third column, which is entitled Warning to the Follower of Christ, and see if you can... Work out how the description of the devil corresponds to the warning that you need to take away as you seek to follow the Lord Jesus. This is a good way of when we understand the devil and his work, we're better able to resist him and stand on the victory of Christ over him. So why don't you pause the tape here and spend a good few moments working through that together. Great, well we're nearly there. A final few things to think about. The last little section we looked at was asking this question, who is the devil? Uh, sorry, who created the devil? Uh, I'd like you to look up Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. And I'll read it to us for those who haven't got a Bible in front of them. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the creatures the Lord God had made. Just notice here, it's a reference to the devil being created. And then you read Colossians chapter 1 verse 16, where speaking of the Lord Jesus, all things were created by him and for him. So we do see in these two examples, very clear that the devil was a created being. He is not eternal like the living God. He is not all powerful like the living God. 
I asked the guys when we did this live to brainstorm on a flip chart some of the theological questions that this throws up for you. The idea that Satan was made, and particularly the second quote from Colossians, not only that he was made, but he was made for God. And a number of the questions that came back is how in the world or why in the world would God create evil? Why would God create Satan with power? How in the world can Satan's destructive work bring glory to God? How can it be created for him? Uh, And we're going to think about the answers to some of those questions next week. But maybe if it would be helpful, pause the tape again and just think about the implications that Satan was created but also created for the glory of God. What kind of questions does that raise in your mind? As we close, I want to quote from the book by Owen Lutzer, who at least gives us a bit of a glimpse into the answer to that question if we're grappling with the fact that Satan was created. What was God doing in that? And he said in his book, The fall of man, which of course was instigated by Satan, would culminate ultimately in greater worship, greater adoration, greater wonder, a greater display of God's mighty attributes. We don't know in entirety, in any sense, why God created the devil. We don't know why he allows the devil to be so destructive in this world. But what we do know is that God created the devil and therefore the devil is ultimately answerable to God. What we do know is that God takes all evil and brings it around ultimately for his good. And so as we close this first session in this six week spiritual battle series, my prayer is that as we began for every look at the devil, we would gaze at God. Friends, if you do have the PowerPoint open, just have a look at the verses on the final page. Um, Colossians chapter two, verse 15, 1 John chapter four, verse four. And Romans 8 verse 38. When we did this originally, I asked different groups in the church to stand and read these words, these passages out loud, by way of declaring this great victory statement to one another to encourage us. So as we close now, and as we have looked at Satan, but want to end by gazing at God, why don't you reflect on those verses? And if you have them in front of you, why don't you pray them out loud and spend some time thanking God? that he is in ultimate control. And next week we'll come back and think about the subject of if he is in control, why does he continue to allow Satan to still be so destructive? God bless you, and uh, I hope this recording's worked the second time round.